Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action, a podcast where people share their stories about meaningful, planet-friendly work in their local communities. They share their paths of green action and the ways they have applied their own talents, interests, and all types of green projects, jobs, businesses, volunteering, and careers. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who's an executive director of a farmer's market, operates a farm, a school garden program, and is a city councilwoman. I'm talking with Casey McAuliffe, the executive director of Galveston's own farmer's market and operates Moon Dog Farms, an organic fruit, vegetable, and flower farm. Under Casey's leadership, Galveston's own farmer's market has increased food access among high-risk populations on Galveston Island through implementation of SNAP, specialty WIC programming, free cooking classes, and a rapidly growing school gardens program. Since 2017, Casey has also served as a city councilwoman in the city of Lamarck. Her life's work revolves around the value of the natural environment on community well-being and empowering citizens to take control of their own health and claim their role within their community. So welcome to the show, Casey. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led you to farming and on top of so many other things. So um, what in your life planted the seed for you to want to take some kind of green action originally? Well, I would say that um, whether I knew it or not, I was probably always destined to give a hoot about these kinds of things. Um, you know, when I, growing up, we had about an acre uh, vegetable garden that my mom tended all by herself um, and I, you know, grew up semi-feral, just playing outside all the time in that garden. Um, I was an only child growing up. I have an, a much older sister, but I was the only kiddo at home. So I spent a lot of time outside and dirty and playing in the garden. And food was really important to my mom. And so then it became really important to me. My mom, um, you know, she had that garden because she wanted to grow food and have control over what went into her, you know, little girl's body. And so we had a closet filled with pickled and fermented vegetables. And we, you know, ate a lot of um, what my friends would call like hippie food as I was growing up. And um, like I said, I don't know if I, it was all pretty just sort of intrinsic to the way I thought, you know, you should you should live and you should be, you know, appreciating the outdoors and and beyond appreciating, like sort of relishing in it and wanting to protect it and be a part of it and take care of it. So um, as I got older, um, when I was in college, I did a lot of reading about food and particularly food justice and who has access to good food and who doesn't. And that, you know, a pretty typical liberal arts college education, I had a lot of awakenings around, oh, I, you know, this was easier for me to do because of my whiteness and my, the privilege that I'm born into. And like, that's not true for everybody. And that's, you know, um, okay, let me learn more about that. And um, I just became very, very interested in why some people get easy access to good food and other people don't and the lines that those fall into. And, um, but I didn't anticipate doing anything 
with that. I just was interested in it. Um, I did uh, do some wolfing in college while I was studying abroad. You know, um, I worked on some farms and enjoyed it. And I worked on some farms at home, you know, just like during breaks and whatnot, because I enjoyed it. And then when I graduated from college, um, my uh, partner at the time, Alex, he was working for the Austin Film Festival and I was working as a, um, I was working for the city of Austin and their, um, the Doherty Art School. So I was working as a teacher there with preschool age kids. And, but we were going to the farmer, the farmer's market was like our event of the week. Like that was what the whole week revolved around was going to the farmer's market on the weekend. And uh, through the course of about, you know, two years doing that, um, we realized we wanted to change. We thought we were the right age. And we were like, let's just go work on a farm. Let's go try it. He wanted to have a job that was distinctly different than what he'd been doing, which was sitting at a desk. And I wanted to, I realized that I couldn't stop thinking about farming and being a part of the food system. And so uh, we studied up on wolf locations in the United States. We, we spent several months going on long walks in the evening and reading the wolf descriptions, which I don't know if you've ever yeah. done that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> they are... I, I, that was a fantastically fun time in our life. We had developed this code for like, well, this place sounds ridiculous or like this, this place sounds amazing for one night. Yeah. And, um, you know, the ones that were like, bring your bongos, leave your clothes, stay forever. You know, it's like, um, okay. that was not really our jam, but, uh, I'm glad it's out there for people who that is their jam. Um, and we basically it boiled down to a place that would let us take our dog and that was in New York. We wanted to be somewhere, you know, totally different from Texas. Um, so we packed up our truck, we like built this camper into the bed of the truck. And so we spent the next six months just sort of driving around the United States, dipping into the little farms, doing quick stints. And then we ended up in upstate New York for a year farming there. Um, and while we were there, we realized, oh yeah, this is this is it. We love this. We loved working together. We loved working outside. We felt like it really complemented the things that we liked to do, which for Alex, he really likes solitary work. He really likes working by himself. He likes problem solving big um, logistical, physical problems. And I loved all of the story making around the food system and being outside and you know, I would drive him crazy because I would spend like three hours looking at bugs and like not getting a whole lot of other work done. <laughs> but then if ever we needed to like visit with people on the farm, Alex would run and hide and I would take care of that. You know what I mean? So it worked out pretty well. Nice. And so while we were in New York, we decided, okay, well, let's start saving money and let's work towards having our own operation back home in Texas eventually. And, um, Again, another you know spot of privilege. While we were there, um, Alex's aunt and uncle came to visit us, and they saw how enthusiastic we were, and we were just you know giving them a tour of the farm and talking about all these plans we had. We had this five-year plan at the time, and um, they were like, "Well, you know, we have some land down in Galveston County, and like, there's an old like it's an old farm, you know, like there's some barns on it. There once was an orchard on it, but nobody's using it anymore. It just sits there, like." do you want to use that? <laughs> we're like, um, <laughs> yes. And um, 
you know, once I scooped my jaw off the floor, we just, you know, couldn't stop counting our blessings. And so, you know, that's where we were headed, but we wanted to make some more mistakes and learn a whole lot more first before we took that on. Cause we were still pretty green, you know, in the naive sense. So, um, Alex actually enrolled in a sustainable ag program in North Carolina. And so we stayed in New York for a little bit longer. And then we moved down to North Carolina and he, he went through that whole program. And I just took that time to work on farms. And, um, then we moved down to Texas in 2012. And so, so that's Moondog Farms, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So how, how, how much acreage do you have? So the piece of property that's on, it's really large. It's, it's, you know, well over a hundred acres, but um, we farm on, you know, we, in, in cultivation at any time, we probably have about seven acres, okay. six to seven acres, but we have available to us around 12 acres, but we keep a lot of that in cover crop. Nice. And in the beginning, we also, like when we moved there, there was this old orchard that was about 12 acres. Oh. And so in the first few years, we really, that was part of the vision was that we were going to sort of reinvigorate this orchard. But we realized over the last few years that uh, it was too much. It was just really too much. And we were not getting enough ground. We had to, we had to focus. Mm-hmm. And so we started, I mean, we still, we still do have some fruiting trees, but um, we're not trying to bring an old orchard back to life in a, in an area that, oof, you know, we, we knew we had a lot to learn and we certainly did. Um, we certainly do. And I'm sure we'll never stop being like, oh, there's something new to learn. Um, but it has, it's been a dramatic difference in both our revenue and both our just bandwidth to when we made the decision to stop focusing so much energy on that orchard and just focus on annual vegetable and flower production. Yeah. So. so how... So you have the farm and are you direct selling to um, the community or how, how are you, I know you have the farmer's market. Do you also Mm -hmm. sell outside from the farmer's market as well? I mean, our main uh, connection to customers is farmer's markets. We sell at two farmer's markets regularly. We sell at Galveston's own farmer's market and um, we sell at the urban harvest market, which is urban harvest farmer's market, which is the big farmer's market. Um, and you know it's much bigger than Galveston. Galveston is a still a fairly small farmers market, and Houston is closer to like a hundred vendors. Okay. So it's much bigger, and um, we do we do well. I should say so. We also have our direct sales through our website. We have an online store that we opened during the pandemic as just an additional way because um, we stopped selling at the Saturday market during the pandemic, and the Galveston market as well. Um, so we, we do home delivery to customers that are in our immediate area. And then we also sell on GoFM to go, which is the online farmer's market for Galveston's own farmer's market. Okay, great. And then how um, do you implement like your school garden program and maybe um, helpful cooking um, classes and things like that? Galveston's own farmer's market. So, you know, it started as just a weekly market. It was like in this dusty little pebbly lot for a few years. And the first like additional arm of programming, if you will, started when I wanted us to become a snap retailer. And then that our sort of food access programming arm grew out of that where then we we accepted snap and then we started um, 
distributing what we call our fresh bucks, which was just additional funding to folks who were using their SNAP. And then we brought in the WIC vouchers and then we added in more SNAP incentives where now people get bonus bucks and fresh bucks. So their dollars are tripled when they shop at the farmer's market. Um, so that arm, you know, that started. And then in 2017, that's when we um, implemented the WIC voucher program. And at the same time, you know, that's when we also, like all this other programming happened at the same time as well. And it was just all felt very natural. It all grew out of just like seeing need and being like, okay, well, let's adapt this to that. And then, oh, okay. And just, I know here we are. But um, so we implemented the WIC voucher program in the summer of 2017. And um, the reason that the cooking classes grew to that was because, so, you know, the WIC voucher program is funny. It's a federal program, but then it's implemented through different states, um, you know, departments of ag. But it's based on a crop availability season that's pretty distinctly not the friendliest towards Gulf Coast, Texas. <laughs> it's definitely based on a seasons elsewhere. So like the prime, you know, the bulk of the season where you can distribute these WIC vouchers is the summer. And that is just not our season, you know, um, because what we have the most of in June, July, August, and September is okra, and eggplant and peppers and like okra, eggplant and peppers. <laughs> so um, we were giving out these wick vouchers, which is, you know, okra, eggplant and peppers are wonderful, but it's just not a whole lot of variety, right? And they are some of the more tricky vegetables, right? They're not as easy as a tomato or a carrot or lettuce, right? They, they require a little more prep and understanding. So we were giving out all of these you know, giving out pounds and pounds of free okra, eggplant, peppers. And people are like, this is great. What the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> you know? So I was like, okay, well, what if we offered a cooking class for our WIC recipients? And we just tailored it exactly to these things. And we just kind of did a whole like, hey, here's how to work with these vegetables. Here's some quick stuff to do. And it was really, really popular and very quickly I realized and, you know, our farmer's market staff realized you know, it's not just WIC recipients who need some help with figuring out what to do with their eggplant. Like everybody wants a cooking class and everybody wants something that's just makes food feel easier to deal with, right? Kind of just breaks it down to its bottom denominator. Right. And so the cooking classes just kind of grew out of that. So how, how does your, like, how do you bring the cooking classes to the people? Do you like conduct a demonstration at your farmer's booth, farmer's market booth? So, I mean, we certainly have demonstrations at the market all the time um, in normal in normal times we do. Right. Um, we would have at least a monthly, like, um, you know, we call it taste the market, you know, like cooking demos and stuff, pretty standard stuff you see at farmer's markets. But the cooking classes or what we started to call the real food project um, is different. So we would it can look a few different ways. We partner with some people to deliver a cooking class to a very specific demographic. And then we also have classes that are just open to the public. Um, all the classes are always just pay what you can. So we try to keep them. There's always a free option. Yeah. Um, where, where do you hold them? So the before the pandemic, we would hold them at a whole bunch of different partnered locations. We um, have a very robust partner in um, there's this business here called The Kitchen Chick which is owned by my friend Alicia Cahill. And it's just like a local, you know, super awesome, fancy kitchen, like gourmet food store. 
and she she hosts her own cooking classes as well. So she has this beautiful space in the back. It's one of these awesome old like Galveston warehouse style buildings that's been around for you know a couple hundred years, and it has this huge space in the back that's set up like a TV kitchen. And um, so we do cooking classes there with Alicia, and then we would do we would partner with Galveston College and use their um, culinary uh, department kitchen, and we loved working with their chefs. That was really, really fun too, because it's obviously set up for big groups to learn how to cook. So that was great. And then we would also do places that were, you know, maybe less friendly to a cooking class. So we had to bring like our whole mobile kitchen. So those would be at um, Galveston Housing Authority offices, um, the WIC clinics themselves. Those are pretty, we would always do at least one monthly WIC cooking class at the WIC clinics themselves so that it was easy for WIC patrons to just like come do the class while they're there um gosh where else do we do them boys and girls club we would do a lot of them for the boys and girls club um a couple of other local nonprofits here like the freedom school and uh just different organizations but um now what we, the way we've been doing it since the pandemic is they're all virtual and they're all, we've almost done we've done almost all of them with the kitchen chick herself the alicia cahill just because she's really good at, I mean, you know, you know, doing a virtual class is a totally different animal than in person and not everybody wants to do it. Um, and it's been, it was really successful to start out. You can definitely tell people are getting growing weary of everything being virtual. Gotcha. And we're starting to talk about how we bring our cooking classes back in person. Yeah. Before the end of the year. But. So how about your school gardens program? Did you like, um, encourage local schools to uh, plant new school gardens or did you kind of come in and just help them revive them or yeah um, so the the story of our young gardeners program cannot be told without its original its founding director my friend nan wilson so she was a volunteer for the farmer's market she moved here from uh vashon island in in washington and i immediately made her become a volunteer because i loved her and um she started talking about wanting to start a school gardening program she had this vision um her family's from galveston um you know she's a 60 year old black woman and she was she never lived in texas but she was like this she's like the these, the cultural segregation here in Galveston, she's like, is unbelievable. You know, she's like, I've lived in places where it's not this way, but you know, she's like, Texas is a whole different ballgame. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and she was really dismayed at what she saw as just this huge divide of young kids that were obese and unhealthy and had really poor diets. And the way she wanted to address that was implement a school gardening program. And I also shared that vision. I came at it more from, I think that, I mean, just from like my childhood and, and feeling like getting your hands in the dirt as a kid is hugely beneficial to every aspect of your life as an adult. I firmly believe that. And um, also my deep frustration, just seeing school gardens that were already implemented at some of these sites but we're totally defunct, right? They're just overgrown with weeds, no one's tending them. And yeah. really wanting um, the bossy control freak in me, really wanting to get in there and be like, it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> just like, let me help you run this and it will be beautiful and it will be this source yeah. of pride and it can grow food and like, it will be amazing. So we kind of smushed our ideas together 
and October 2017, we um, debuted the first garden at Rosenberg Elementary, which at the time was called Coastal Village Elementary. And to back up a little bit, so Nan handled all of the like lobbying of the ISD. Um, she came to them in that the summer before that school year and was like, this is what we want, want to do. Um, you know, you can have this, you can have these beautiful gardens that feed children and like dramatically transform the health of your student population at every school. Just let us step in and do this. And um, they, uh, the, what we figured out was the best, the best fit for what we wanted to do and to make the school, to make it work and to also help keep it financially viable was um, to embed it in the after school program. And so, like I said, we debuted it at uh, the first school in 2017 and it was part of the after school operations there. So we had about 40 kids enrolled who would come every other, like 40 kids total, 20 that would come every other day throughout the school year. And those kids were part of every bit of planting, weeding, seeding, you know, harvesting. And then um, we also did weekly cooking demonstrations. So we would work with the kids and they went home on average with about a pound of food from the garden every week of the school year. Um, and at that site, they had some existing gardens and we just worked with what they had. Um, that was why we'd started there. But very quickly we realized, you know, again, I think being a little bit control freaks, all of us in our little <laughs> team, like, you know what, these could be better if we built these gardens better. They would be more ADA accessible. Like if we build them higher, we need wider beds, we need this, we need that. And so we slowly started to come into what the program is now, which is we, it's all within Galveston Independent School District so far. We're at six schools. We have eight garden sites at six schools. And um, some of those sites have had existing gardens and some of them have nothing. But what we do is when we're preparing for the next school year, we spend the end, so like right this time, basically the end of the previous school year talking to new school sites. And it's absolutely necessary that the principals and staff, that we have at least the principal and three to five staff and then a robust amount of parent support at that school before we'll agree to go there. And um, then we build our gardens and they usually end up with, you know, anywhere between, you know, four to 12,000 square feet of gardening space. Um, uh, yeah, and then we spend a lot of time, I mean, it's an incredibly volunteer heavy program. So we have, we utilize around 200 volunteers to make all of it work because almost every school site were there every day some of them were there like three or four days a week, but most of them were there every day. And we employ a garden leader at each site um, who was paid through Galveston Independent School District's after school operations. And so that's part of like what, like I said, what helps keep it going because they are actually GISD staff, but we train, recruit and manage them. And uh, then they have, depending on how many kids at that site, they have anywhere between two to four or six volunteers that help manage the number of kids. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been great. It's been wonderful. And um, we're prepared to, by 2023, by, by the school year of 22-23, to be at every site in GISD. So we'll be at all 11 schools. So that'll be all the elementary schools, middle schools, and high school. 
and then we'll start looking at moving um, off the island onto the mainland, which is really exciting. Nice. Wow. Very exciting. Very exciting. What inspired you to join the city council? Um, I mean, truly, truly the election of Donald Trump. <laughs> um, I was angry and frustrated and not just angry and frustrated with like, you know, the world and, you know, what the results of that election, but really feeling like um, more people who held my values needed to be more active in politics. Um, you know, I've never felt like politics is a dirty word. I've always been interested in politics, um, but I was very aware that I had had what what I, you know, this is this is not fact. This is just like my feelings. You know, what I felt at the time was like there's so many people like me who value, um, you know, things that are called progressive, right? That are called liberal. You know, whether that's environmental stewardship or you know, same-sex marriage or, <laughs> I mean, just like things that to me feel like very basic tenets of just being a decent human on this planet, but are labeled as progressive and liberal values. Um, I just felt like there's a lot of people like me who then, who feel that way personally and maybe try to live their lives that way by espousing and advocating for those things. But if we don't then, if some of us don't then parlay that into actually trying to be a part of the political process, those values don't, don't hold, you know, and they're not going to translate into bigger things and translate into communities, states, and nations that value those things. And so I felt so frustrated. And so um, anyway, so I just, I, I started spending more time paying attention to what was going on in local politics and you know, going back and reading city council minutes and looking at some of the things that have been covered by our city council um, here in Lamarck. And, you know, I didn't see anything that I found to be, you know, like horrible or grossly, you know, uh, negligent, but I did see, you know, now that I'm on council, I can see some of my naivete for sure, but I was just like, what are they doing? <laughs> I was like, what are these people yeah. doing? You know, I mean, it's yeah. not an, an enormous amount of power, but it's where the power lies, where the buck stops for our city, you know, like this, they could be doing more. Right. Like there's, there's a lot more that could be done here. And so I was like, I'm going to go for it. I'm crazy. Well, that, that leads me into my next question. What unique perspective have you gained in um, your multiple roles, including um, being a councilwoman? Um that you can't do anything alone. Honestly, mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing I've learned. You know, being um, being the steward of Gallison's own farmer's market when it's gone from, you know, just being this like pop-up market that all we did was like show up and all I would do was like bounce around the market and welcome people and be like overly friendly to, <laughs> you know, an organization that has, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, a much larger operating budget and um, actually employs a team of people. Like there's seven people who are on our staff now that I manage and like the things that we do when I, you know, just none of that 
like every single one of those things are something that I can trace back to some bubble of an idea that I had, you know, they're not my unique ideas, but something that I was like, man, it would be great to do that. Or like, man, that would, but if I had helped, you know, it, it, every single seed required the support, the instigation, the motivation, the talents, the energy, the brains of other people to make it happen. You know, yeah. I might be someone who like, I love to come up with ideas for something that I think are like way too big. And cause I'm, I have that, I definitely have that competitive streak, but I mean, that's baloney. I mean, that's nothing if you don't work with people to make it happen. Um, and that's certainly true for council as well. You know, some of the things that I came in really hoping to see for our city, you know, some of them happened and some of them are, I think, you know, I realize how much, how much longer things will take particularly than you want them to. Um, but absolutely they only can come together if you have the right team, if you have people that are on board with that vision and moving it forward. Yeah. So what are some of the rewards that you and your community have experienced since you've been involved in so many excellent community, um, programs and services? This is not by any means. Okay. So, I mean, for the farmer's market, um, and I think, you know, a lot of people here in Galveston County sort of, you know, they, uh, I think rightly so, you know, it's hard for them to like separate the different hats I wear, you know, by any means. So they see me as like Casey, the farmer's market farmer person, or like someone will know like vaguely, oh, I'm on council, but they, they just call me a farmer. Like they know that's what I do. Or even most of my fellow city council people, they think of me as just, a, they think of me as a farmer. And I'll tell them like, well, actually most of what I do these days is like have meetings. <laughs> like I'm, I, I've, I've become an executive director and like, that's what I'm doing now. I'm fundraising and meeting with people and making plans. Like I spend a lot less time at the farm, a whole lot less, especially now that I've had my daughter. Um, but all of those things for me, you know, that what drives me and what, I, what I, what I am most proud of when I think something has really gone right in my work is crafting spaces, intentional spaces. And I mean space like in the physical sense and also space just in this, in the sense of just openness and acceptance for people to connect with one another. One story that is gonna to come to mind and is, you know, this is a story that actually in my last election you know, got really kind of tossed around too. But um, so the farmer's market a couple years ago, um, I found out that there had been these drag queen story times, uh, you know, that were, that were happening across the country. And I thought, oh, these are great. How wonderful. Um, and our local library had one. And then I found out they weren't having them anymore. And I was like, oh, I wonder why. So I reached out to one of the organizers, it wasn't organized by their library, but the library had hosted it. And I, I reached out, I used to work at that library as well. And, um, and I'd been really proud of them for, you know, cause you know, it's, it, I, I was aware of like the flack that came along with whatever entity would host a drag queen story time. But um, anyway, I reached out to one of the organizers and they're like, well, you know, they got a lot of flack and they got a lot of, they got some threats. So they just, they didn't feel comfortable hosting it again. 
And I was like, so what's going to happen? Where's it going to be? And they were like, well, we don't think we're going to do it because, you know, there's not a lot of places in Galveston and Galveston County, Texas that are, they really want to be a yeah. part of that. Mm-hmm. I was like, ew, I hate that. I was like, bring it to the farmer's market. Like the farmer's market is, and I remember, you know, some, we, we talked about it at length with my board at the time. And, you know, there was these questions of like, well, are people going to see this as, you know, a political move or like, I was like, the farmer's market aims to be at all times a place that's accessible to as many people as possible. You know, we want to be inclusive. This place is about food and community connectivity. Like we say, cannot, cannot, cannot tell you how many times I've said in an interview or in a grant application that our purpose is to connect people to good food and to connect them to one another. And so that means we're open to anybody. If what you're like, if who you are and what you represent is, doesn't harm anyone, then like, come on in, you know, come buy some blueberries (laughs) like, or don't just come and have some free coffee and sit and enjoy this space that we've created. Cause that's a huge element of what we do in normal times. And we have this huge community space in the middle where there's free coffee and there's tables and people sit and stay for hours, you know, and I'm proud of that. And we had all, you know, we also have every week we would have anywhere from two to five different community partners doing something for the market, you know, whether it's the library doing a book sale or the Humane Society there with kittens for people to cuddle or, you know, a local conservation group there just like sharing information about erosion or, you know, the ag. I mean, anything and everything. Citizen police groups there talking about like light safety. I mean, so many different things, just community yeah. things. So in my mind, I was like, this drag queen storm time is no different, zero percent different. It's it's a story time that happens to be put on by people in drag. Like get get over it. Um, and it did indeed cause a lot of kerfuffle. <laughs> um, but what was immediately clear the day after, like the day that we had our first one because we've had one every year since, except last year when we were not in operation for most of the year, um, we were only virtual, was the amount of consternation and fear and anxiety that built up um, around this event leading up to it, which was primarily fueled by people just trolling us on Facebook, honestly, was nothing compared to the absolute abundance of joy and gratitude and just such a strong sensation of love and happiness that was at market that day. We had one of our biggest market days ever for that first one. It, there was people I've never seen come to market who came just for that, who brought their children who were queer, who brought their children who were cisgendered and straight. I mean, like it was all kinds of people who came and were attracted to that sense, that feeling of like, this market is for everybody. Like, come be here. And while you're here, grab a baguette and some fresh carrots and like talk to somebody about a recipe. Like just, it was, it was so affirming that that was the right direction for us to go. And, um, you know, from that day we've, we've run into, as I'm, you know, everybody has right over the course of this pandemic, there's been such heightened strife about so many things right that fall down on these political lines and you know that if you do this this equates this and you know um we've 
we have not escaped that, right? Um, but right. I have, I can say that I've never faltered when and making a decision for the market or, you know, talking to the team about like, what should we do with this, this problem or this question? If we ask ourselves, like, are we following our integrity? You know, like, are we making a decision that's based on fear? Or are we making a decision based on what makes this market inclusive and accessible to the most amount of people? And as long as we're always answering yes to that question, yeah. then it's like, okay, then like come what may. And I nice. feel that way about, I really try to apply that to how I, legislate with city council as well. You know, um, I really do. And sometimes that means I'm not very popular because <laughs> I ask a lot of questions and I'm, uh, but I just feel like, you know, what's the point of being there if it's not, you know, trying to learn and just trying to honestly be a part of something that makes this place better for everybody and just maintains integrity for the most amount of people. So if your ideas and your wisdom and experiences were all wrapped up in new seeds of potential action for others, what advice would you give them? Taking time to sit with what it, you know, when you have this like impetus to do something or when I have this impetus to do something, you know, there's times when you need to move really fast and you just need to jump on it. Um, and then there's times when you have to sit and ask yourself, like, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish here, really? You know, because I often end up with, like, a vision of what I want, like the end product, right? I get that big picture, and then I have to sit and walk it back and say, okay, well, what, how does that start? You know, like, I get people who ask yeah. a lot over the years, like, how do we start a farmer's market? How do we have a farmer's market like this one? Or how do we do this school gardening program? It's like, well... You need to like stop, take a second and yeah. think about what it is that you actually want, like identify what it is about this that you want and, you know, then consider what are the factors that led to, the, that lead to this, to this end result. And um, then, like I said earlier, get a team, <laughs> get a team because you just, there's so much more you can do on it as a team than you can do by yourself. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Can you share maybe something, a resource or podcast uh, website or video that might um, have been particularly helpful for you um, as you've been working through the years? I can share, this is what comes to mind immediately. It only really applies to, um, so our Young Gardeners program, one of the things that we've developed um, as part of our training for all of our garden leaders each year is they have to read two books. They have to read Farming While Black by Leah Penniman. And um, then, which is, which serves as like, it's both like a vegetable growing guide nice. and also a bit of like a black history book. And then like a bit of a, um, education on food inequity, food and agricultural inequity. Uh, so, but that book is fantastic and has a lot of concrete um, education in it. And then also we use this book called Love and Logic that we, um, I can't remember the authors right now, but um, it's what we use for instructing our leaders for how to manage their classrooms, you know, manage their kids. Cause it's a huge part, like Lots of people think like, oh, you know, it's like this idyllic setting with young gardeners, like the kids come out and they touch butterflies and they're like plucking tomatoes. It's like, mm, 
it's classroom management. <laughs> like we do all those things, but most of what we're doing is just like wrangling third graders most of the time and then getting them to do tasks. And then we enjoy like throughout that there's all this beauty, but there's a lot of classroom management. So those two things for sure. And then I would be remiss if I didn't say that like the book that really set me kind of on fire in terms of being like, we should go work on a farm. I want to just, I just like want to go more into this was Barbara King Solver's Animal Vegetable Miracle, which is just, I'm a huge Barbara King Solver fan anyway, but um, that's a great book. Well, um, so how can people find your website and also your um, farmer's market? The farmer's market is uh, Galveston's own farmer's market dot com and um on instagram and facebook it's at go farmers market so go farmers market the, mar- the market is open every sunday nine to one and um, we're gonna have actually we're moving to a new location at 28th and market street in galveston at the end of june so you can find all things there we have a weekly newsletter too that shares you know what's going on with the market and exciting things that are coming up our cooking classes all kinds of opportunities you can sign up for that on our website Moondog Farms is also pretty simple. It's moondogfarms.com. That's also where you can find our store and order things if you're local. And um, our social media is at Moondog Farms. So how can people um, get involved that um, are in the community? If they visit our website and click on help us grow, you know, that's where you can find the volunteer information. And I just, I really mean it when I say that everything we do just the beating heart of that is volunteer support. And, you know, um, I've been asked by some of our like philanthropic supporters and some of our business supporters over the last few years as we keep growing. And it's like, oh, now we have 150 volunteers. Oh, now we have 300 volunteers. Wow. Like, I've been asked, like, you know, do you think you're going to hit a wall in terms of like the number of people out there who are willing to volunteer their time to help with any of your programs, whether it's helping out at the weekly market or the Young Gardeners program or helping with the community yeah. dinner or whatever. And I just, I sure don't think so because there's just every week we have new people who are just at their heart. They want to be involved in something that's fun. Right. I mean, and we, we, we have a lot of fun yeah. and we eat well. So, you know, awesome. Awesome. Well, it's fun to do. I'm really um, in awe of all that you're doing and um, really just helping the community flourish and supporting all of the, the people and at the same time, the planet. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for your program. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people. 